there are more components with graphic design and animation, but you'll eventually get to that point. It just might take longer. Sure, absolutely. Glad to see your dogs are back. They're back. Yeah. Mika likes to talk. She's a puppy. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Jess. Hi, John. How's it going? It's going all right. I'm pretty exhausted. It's been a long little while. I, I hear you on that. Yeah. Yeah, last week was a nice week because uh, my girlfriend had it off and a lot of people have it off because it was the first week of November, which is like their mid-semester break out here. Oh. Um, yeah. So we, we took a nice little trip out to Galway out in the west and the Cliffs of Moher. I did not realize, by the way, that like Galway, I think, is a pretty famous city in Ireland. And the population of Galway is only like 80,000 people. It's shockingly small for a city that people have actually yeah. heard of. That's a lot of Europe, though, right? Yeah, well... Like, there are just more events that have happened because they have longer histories. I think it varies. It's, it's, it's always been weird to me that some places are super famous, even though they're tiny. And I think some places had a lot more significance, you know... 200 years ago or something like that like when you talk about a city like in england york york is this tiny little nothing city in the northeast of england but it was really important in the middle ages so it's still remember that's why they could even go back to that (laughs) exactly right but yeah so galway is pretty tiny but the cliffs of moher were beautiful they actually reminded me in this weird way of like a one-sided grand canyon just with an ocean on the other side instead of another side of a grand canyon it was it was they were beautiful it was great it's nice even though we've kind of settled in that i'm still out kind of seeing things yeah which i didn't really expect and then yeah just in the last few days i just got back today actually from this little trip that i took out through liverpool and then milan just to handle uh some different business and some side projects and it was great it was actually really great to go back to italy not in the summer because italy always kills me in the summer it's way too hot and so (laughs) Even though it was a lot of traveling and packing and planes and things over the last little while, it's nice to get out of town. You went to Italy, wow. Yeah, you know, just for a couple of days. <laughs> That's nice that you could do that in Europe. But I guess it's similar because I could just hop to South America for a weekend and some people are like, why don't you just do that? And I'm like, yeah, I've never been able to do that before. That's kind of crazy. Right, and that's that's the crazy thing about being out here, that planes are just so incredibly cheap. Like, I remember when we were in Korea... We would just go out of town on a weekend, on just take a bus out of town, and it was like nothing. And I always thought, you know, this is something I would never do back home. But because it was only like 15 bucks to go on a bus up to Seoul or something like that, obviously you're going to go take little trips every once in a while. Like, it's nice. You have time off. Might yeah. as well use it. And here, to fly to England from Ireland, it was 20 euro, including a checked bag. Flying to Italy was 60 euro round trip. I mean, it's like taking a taxi, you know, why, why not yeah. take a, a trip out there? And so... Did she go with you or did she only go out to the spots in Ireland? Yeah, no, she she went out to Galway with me and the cliffs, but she didn't have time to oh. jump out of the country. Yeah, right. yeah. Okay. But yeah, it's been good. I mean, it has gotten really cold. The last couple of days, the temperature just plunged out here. And so I got back today from Italy, which was still cool, like not hot, but I got back here and it was just this pounding icy rain that's cutting through my wool coat is a bit much (laughs) 
That yeah, is the downside but, yeah. of the cold, but everyone says during these times, I just wish it was hot, but you have to think about the fact that last night I was talking to someone in North Carolina and it's pretty cold. And yeah. they're going, my heater's not working well enough. And I'm like, my AC's not working well enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Well, and this is like, I would take this any day over tropical heat. The crushing heat of Miami is crushing during the summer. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not down for that at all. That is a no go for me. So I, I definitely am glad that I've taken this side of the trade. Anything <laughs> exciting happen with you this week? Nothing all that exciting. Well, okay. I guess I guess exciting in the sense of my company. We're just a small Miami bakery, but this week we launched a pastry line in Whole Foods. Okay. We've always had bread in Whole Foods, but now we launched a pastry line, sure. so it was figuring out all the logistics for that, plus me getting up to speed with everything. So I worked a lot of this weekend to okay. be at Whole Foods and work with the bakery team and get people sampling our products. Good times. Okay. Nice. Yeah. So I'm getting to see how that rolls out, which is a lot of fun and very interesting. I can imagine. Yeah. Whole Foods is pretty big time. Building those Amazon connections, getting in there. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice that you're getting into the company as it's kind of on the upswing, branching out, building up its business into these large national players yeah and the the downside of that is that i'm coming in and i'm very new and i'm trying to figure things out but everyone is so busy there's not really time for questions at all nah, so sure. that is sometimes a little bit stressful because you're trying to determine what to do totally on your own but you've been there like for me i've been there for like two weeks so yeah hard to make decisions <laughs> yeah. in that situation. yeah but it has been good to be in a environment where everyone so we have to get this done we need to make this deadline and then they're so excited when something goes well and you can be part of that with them and they keep yeah, mentioning sure, sure. how i think there's a bakery maybe in san francisco where the guys make all these amazing breads and everyone lines up and by two they're done and they go surfing and someone asked them if they wanted to expand and the baker okay. was like no we're okay we want to go surfing we want to keep this exactly how it is so we looked at that and we could sure. have even either stayed like that and just keep going and keep being able to pay everyone about the same it's artisanal so everyone makes everything like handmade all of yeah. that yeah, yeah, yeah but we decided we really want to notch it up yeah 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 i mean i understand the kind of idealization of this keep it small and you get enough to live and you just keep doing what you're doing and you're good at what you're doing i think that's all kind of bunk <laughs> it's like yeah scale it up if this is something that people like something that people appreciate you can grow value for everyone else and grow value for yourselves as well and see something become really impactful and useful and that's, that's yeah the best. it's that's good i do see so much value if that's one of your things and you can handle it the way the san francisco guys do and they just want something as a lifestyle business because to scale something up it takes a lot so you have to be ready for it but yeah. as long as you're fully that's into true. it yeah, yeah. if good. you're in you're in that's good i'm trying to learn about bread and the process for bread as quickly as possible like the process to cook bread the, the process to cook it but also more about the background of it because i'm in business development so i need to know a lot about bread so when you say background do you mean like the history of bread or like where the ingredients come from? What do you mean? Yeah, kind of the background, where it comes from, who first made bread, what is okay. the evolution of bread look like, what what is the significance of bread, nice. and all, all these things that I already started getting into because mm. I watched the documentary Cooked, which I mentioned before by Michael Pollan, and that's the same yeah. section. It's divided into four, and the section that is air clearly goes well with bread, and that's the section they gave me, and they said, read this, sure. and then you can 
get more of a spiel going on for what bread is and why it's significant and why you want to sell good bread. I'm like, oh, okay. That has been super interesting because they talk about the actual process of it without getting too grainy on the details, but go all the way back okay. to these Egyptians put out the product and they just thought they were going to have this mush. They left it out for many days and all these microbes ended up coming in and that's how it started rising and that was the first... So they got yeast and everything into it. Yeah, that was the first sourdough. The thing actually sours and that's how you get the yeah, rise yeah, yeah. and I was like, oh... That makes a lot of sense. I've always been so used to commercial bread that I don't think about that process because my bread that I've grown up buying or my parents always bought has 31 right. ingredients. This bread has three. It's great. <laughs> yeah, it's a different world. I remember when I first started brewing beer and I started learning a lot more about the history of beer, how beer is made, different kinds of beers and things like that. When I got to the point that I understood the core of it and the core of how it worked and the four ingredients that are like necessary for beer and everything, like it was fascinating. The, the whole process of learning the history and process for these things, it's a lot of fun. And it makes you realize, wow, there's not a lot of ingredients, but there is a lot of process that goes into all of these things we're consuming on a daily basis. And you just totally yeah. take it for granted because it, you're used to it just showing up for you at the grocery store. Well, and it shows you how important and how great it is that we have specialization and like division of labor mm -hmm. because there's no way you could learn how to do these things and figure out all of these things. When you think about, oh, I want to have a beer. Let me figure out how to make beer. Oh, I want to have bread. Let me figure out how to make bread. You, you can't do all of that on your own. Yeah, that's how the bartering system started anyways. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You got to divide that stuff up. So what's the most interesting aspect of it that you've learned? What part of bread surprised you the most? I think what has been the most surprising is the realization of what it takes to get a really good starter foundation for the bread. And okay. my company has this one that they call the mother because that's the same one they've been using for five years to keep recreating and they can just sure. keep adding to it. Yeah, yeah. And most people I know when they do bread, they're just like, okay, I'm going to go buy commercial yeast and do this. And like, it takes yeah. time, but it's not this thing where it's sitting out for hours or days. And mm -hmm. so that mm -hmm. was fascinating to me. You can have this for this long. And once you get it right, this is how you make all your bread. That is an interesting thing because sourdoughs are pretty big out in California, especially around San Francisco. But I remember they got real big down in Southern California for a while. And some different people that I knew started getting into these sourdough chains where people would have a starter or whatever they're called. And then you would bake some bread from it, add to it, and then pass it on to two or three <laughs> other people. They make bread from it and then they pass it on. And, and I remember it was fascinating. And yeah, I would say a similar thing was what I, I found most interesting when I was learning about brewing. When you look at beers, certain beer companies like Coors, I know always talks about Rocky Mountain water and how incredible their water is and stuff like that. And Sam Adams is always talking about, oh, we have a billion barrels of hops for every beer kind of thing. They all talk about those things, but yeast is such an important thing. Like when I was at the Guinness Storehouse a couple months ago, and reading about what they emphasize, they talk about how they've used continuously the same yeast that has been bred for hundreds of years, uh. and it's been kept on-premises. And you can't duplicate it because their yeast is what makes their beer the way their beer is. Yeast completely changes the type of products and the types of drinks and food you're getting and everything. It's remarkable how important that yeah. is. And what you were saying about Sam Adams and some of the other breweries, that is so similar to the bread. The book was talking a lot about how one 
guy, he left it out in a certain temperature in a certain environment, and it was just horrible. It was all gray and molded, and he took 80% of that and just chucked it. And then he left the last 20%, and he added all the things he needed, and suddenly he had a really good bread because he okay. changed the temperature, he changed the environment, he got different microbes and different bacteria yeah. adding. Yeah, yeah. And there we go. So that little switch, it's probably the difference of two sides of the house, and it worked. It's fascinating, the nuances of things like this. Because, you know, these are the sorts of things that I think most people just flatly think of as boring. <laughs> I'm becoming a super food nerd, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> well, see, but this is the whole thing. Like, And this is a, a, a whole big topic for another time. But interest is so dependent on pre-existing knowledge. Like, if you already know a lot about something you're definitely going to remember things about it better and you're definitely going to be more interested in it. And learning these little nuances and intricacies about something just makes you so much more interested in it. If you don't know anything about it, you're like, bread? Boring. <laughs> White bread is literally the metaphor that people use to call someone boring. And so... Because there's actually you know, nothing like, going on of any value. <laughs> and so it, it just seems like nothing until you get into it. And with almost anything I've ever learned about, when you get a few layers deeper and you get into the nuances, suddenly it just becomes much more interesting and much more textured, yeah. I guess. Most things really are interesting once you really start because to Because at the surface level, you're saying okay a lot, like what I'm doing currently at work, so I'm trying to grasp everything, but it hasn't quite percolated to the other layers of my mind that it needs to for sure. me to really know how to do it. It takes a while to absorb things and to really be able to connect them up with your pre-existing knowledge. Yeah. You know what we should talk about next is our topic of how you get something started on the learning path because it is a great segue to this even though it's different. <laughs> yeah absolutely let's talk about that. <laughs> We're just smooth. <laughs> Oh, don't worry. I'm going to definitely cut all of this stuff. No doubt. I wanted to talk to you about starting side projects and new projects right. like that. Because we've obviously done a lot of stuff in terms of personal skill development. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you about side projects and how you think about side projects is how much of a side project's value comes from what you get out of a side project, like what you produce, mm -hmm. versus what you learn or what you are now able to do uh say it a slightly different way so one is one is what you what you produce as yes. in what you do over maybe the course of a project just what you are able to do and then the other is what you actually right. like you can just leave that project and you can keep doing it on your own right so let's say you wanted to write a book and you write a book about i don't know world war one now one aspect of the project is what you produce which is the book right. on world war one and the other aspect of the project is you become a better writer and you learn a whole lot of stuff about world war one and how to research and how to write and how to do all of those things because i'm always struggling to figure out how to prioritize yeah. things and i have a lot of projects where i look at it and i say well i might be able to produce something kind of nice and cool if i get into this project for a few months but then I look at other projects and I say, the way that pursuing this project will change me 
is of a lot more value than anything I'll produce. Yeah, and you know I, I mean? think, at least from my personal experience and the way I'm thinking about that question, it just depends on what your goal is. So, for example, for my mm. current project that I'm working on, a blog of transparency and supply chain, the writing that I'm learning and learning how to research and write and set up the business, that is the skill that I want to learn and that I'm working actively on. And I do think that is going to be a lot okay. more beneficial than what I'm going to produce out of this. Yet, I think right. if I didn't right. plan on creating something, it would be a lot harder because my motivation to go through all the steps if I didn't want to have an end result, which I guess that kind of answers your question. I think the second one is more important. However, if I were just to do okay. something to say, I just want to work on this. I don't want to produce the book like you were saying before. I don't want to get it published. Then you miss some of those really crucial steps that I think if you really commit to a project and you say, I'm going to do it, I'm going to figure out how to make money off of it or whatever your goal is from it. That's where yeah. you get the value. And I'm completely with you. Like having it be real and having it get out there, that is a key aspect of it. Any project that you pursue, unless it's a strictly learning or skill project, like learning mm -hmm. a language, you're not really producing anything when you learn a language. You're just changing yourself. Yeah. You know what I mean? But for most projects, in order to actually be motivated and in order to actually push yourself in any sort of way, you need to be producing something and when you're talking about most skills most skills allow you to create something right and so if this skill is about creating something you have to create something in the process or else you're not really gaining the skill to begin with so I, I, i'm with you on that but i've struggled a lot of the time with these sorts of things and i mean this was a core thing when we first started working together and we started to work on NTL and all of that, that like we wanted to just go through the process of That was what it. I was going to reference, that we were trying to do it and we were doing well in terms of our learning, but our end goal was what was a little too vague for us to go through the whole process and get as much out of it as we initially anticipated we would get. And we still got a ton out of it, but if we would have yeah. kept going and had that goal, I think it would have I been completely a whole agree. different... And this, this is exactly it. When you're talking about other side projects, so it's really hard for me still to prioritize with all of these sorts of things. Give me an example of where you struggle with prioritizing. Okay, so, okay, let's take some simple ones that are in the same mm -hmm. arena. So you have animating things or graphic design, you have video editing, you have audio editing and recording, and you have photography, mm -hmm. okay? Now, I've worked on all four of those things, but when I look at them, I look at audio recording and audio production as I can produce something that is interesting and of value now. We're producing a podcast. It's something that I think is valuable. It's something that the product of what we're doing is substantially more important to me than the skills I'm learning in terms of audio editing. Like those things are valuable and I'm glad that I'm getting those things. I'm glad that I'm getting the stuff of figuring out how to deal with websites, get media hosted, you know, get all of these sorts of things mm -hmm. under my belt. But that's not nearly as important as what we're actually producing. Whereas when I look at animating, I haven't produced very much of particular value. Obviously, when I'm trying to produce animations, I'm trying to produce them in such a way that I set a goal for what I want to create and then I try to create it. Mm -hmm. But what I have produced, I objectively realize it is of essentially no value except for my growth. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a much longer term game for that. 
because it's a much more complicated and higher level skill than audio recording and audio editing. Mm. It's a lot harder to figure out. And there are there's a lot to do with storytelling. If you're making something that's scripted, you need something that is... There are a lot of components, is, is I guess what I'm saying. If you're yeah. making an, anything that's animated or video editing and that sort of thing. That you don't have when you're doing something like what we're doing, where you're essentially having a conversation, so you're speaking which you know how to do. You know you know how to talk to people. Yeah. The recording is not the most complicated in the world. The editing thing is As long as your simpler. microphone lets you, no. <laughs> right, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's very true. Uh, when your equipment fails, that's, oh, my God, the most frustrating thing. I've spent just so much unnecessary time trying to troubleshoot audio equipment. But, like, when you're looking at doing something that's vastly more complicated, like making an entire animated thing where you have to write something, you have to figure out how to actually edit the timing of everything you have to actually generate all of the animations there's a lot going on there so i'm not going to get to the point where i'm producing anything of value for months perhaps Mm -hmm. whereas i can very quickly produce something of value in other areas it's like same with photography if i really worked on over over the course of three four weeks i could start producing something of value I'm not going to get that in terms of video production. Right. And the the point I was going to make was along the lines of when we were doing NTL and we had the concept of amateur hours where we would try to work on a skill for maybe, at first it was 30 days, work on a skill and see if we could get to the certain goal that we had set at the outset. And that's kind of how I think of what you were just talking about because audio recording at the outset, we even couched it as a deep dive and i think that was just because now it's very easy for you to do that and the the result that we're going to get out of these podcasts is the is what you're going for and the same with me with the website i just want the website to be there and to look nice and do its purpose but before it was this process of learning the audio recording and learning the website because we couldn't produce anything of value until we got to that level And I think there are more components with graphic design and animation, but you'll eventually get to that point. It just might take longer. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And this is why I think for me, why I think side projects as a concept are so important. Like just learning in kind of an amorphous thing where you're just reading books and learning about things like that's useful, but it's not nearly as useful as really setting specific goals of trying to get something done or acquire a skill or produce something and then pursuing that in a steadfast way. Yeah. But I I really think for me, at least a lot of my side projects, the actual important thing is the skill that I'm gaining. Right. And secondary is what I'm producing a lot of the time. Obviously the focus is on what I'm producing because that's how you acquire a skill is by producing something and, you know, practicing the actual creation. I think I definitely agree with you there. What you said about this podcast, the result being what you're more focused on. It's very similar to why I paused on the question you asked me about which one do you think is more important. And when I'm Mm. thinking about my site in particular right now, the result in the near future is more important. But long term, this is going to be a very small project over the course of what I'm looking to do long term. Yeah, sure. So those skills are the point. Acquiring the skills, it's stepping stones. It's walking up a staircase. What you're producing just stands alone and is there. It doesn't continue to build on itself. It's a good point. So going back before NTL, before we met each other, yep. did you have side projects? Because I think about it since amateur hours and that focus on skill development, I think about it in a completely different way than I used to. And so I'm just wondering, have you always done this sort of thing? Or is it a more recent shift in your hmm. mindset? 
because obviously before we met, I was working on languages. Like right. I was working on learning German for a while. So I, I did kind of work on learning and improving myself, but I never had projects per se. You know what I mean? Like I never thought about it in the context of projects. It was always just a continual process. Yeah, honestly... I did think about it in projects when I was learning specifically for my career or my job because someone would give me an assignment and I just realized that to even know how to do Y, I needed to do X and like all these other Mm. steps in between. And so those I would take on as projects for the weekend, but it wasn't anything like what we now do where we have this goal and we're trying to get to that. And the way I think about it has definitely shifted because before it was a lot of, I would love to do all these things and I did a whole lot of reading about them and I was great at research and I would do little projects to be proficient at my job, like taking on Excel and making sure I knew how to do certain formulas so I was okay. Mm. But I never took on big projects like building a website by myself. That had always been something I wanted to do and I hadn't quite gotten there. And I don't really know why. Maybe it was the mindset of, I didn't make this a project and thus a priority well, and, and I, that it was going to be this time span. I think the way that we think about these things is important because what we were talking about before about valuing what you produce versus valuing what you're learning or the skills that you're gaining, I think it's useful to think about it that way because when you're talking about you had never built a website before, but that was always something you wanted to do. I'm not mm-hmm. sure, but I, I would guess that one of the things that delayed you is you didn't quite know what you wanted to make and you didn't quite know how to make it. And so... Exactly. <laughs> yeah. The the fact that you're confused about exactly what to produce makes the whole process not happen at all. Yeah. And so I think when we're thinking about these things, even in work, like you were talking about your job and dealing with Excel and things like that, if you're given a project in work or you have to do something for your family or you need to repair a house or your house or something, thinking about it in terms of, okay, I know that I have to get this thing done, but what can I use this project to gain for myself? In what ways can I further myself through this? I think that's a much better, much more useful way to approach things because it, it allows you to continually work on yourself and make things just easier for yourself rather than being like, oh, I just need to get this thing done. Be like, how can I use this as a training opportunity? Yeah. For side projects in particular, That also provides you the impetus when you're like, okay, I want to know how to do this, so I'll produce something. And then once I produce something, it doesn't really matter what that something is. As long as I can produce something, then I will now be able to produce what I want once I figure out exactly what it is that I want to produce. Yeah, the the house example you gave was a really solid example because I personally do not have a house that I have purchased and am about to move into and need to fix up. But I have several friends right now who purchased homes and they know that they could just, they could get someone to come. She's going. They could get someone to come. They could get someone to come and do all of the work on their Mm -hmm. house in a contract basis, but they've realized how valuable it would be. And it would take longer in that sense, but it would be cheaper overall for them to just do it themselves. So like one couple, for example, found some extra kitchen cabinets that were donated. They figured out how to sand them down and stain them and make them really nice and they put them up and then they're able to rent out their house and then eventually sell it for much more just because they were interested in learning how to remodel their own kitchen. Yeah, I think it's valuable because like obviously they don't want to make cabinets or fix up kitchens as a full-time job and that's probably not even something that they ever want to do again but once you do something and once you kind of know how it works 
you also get dramatically better at judging that sort of thing, at being able to interface with people who do that sort of mm -hmm. thing. I helped my father re-roof a house before, and we did it one time, and then we had to get it re-roofed again at another time, right? And we were, well, at least I was, I think he knew this <laughs> stuff because he had done this for decades, but, but I at least was now much more able yeah. to figure out, did they do a good job? Because I knew what a good job looked like. I knew all of the ins and outs of how to do this sort of thing. Like, if you've dealt with plumbing, you might not want to do the plumbing. But once a plumber does something, you could be like, okay, I know exactly what he did. I know how he did it. I know if it was good or not. And I think the same thing applies to, like, building websites. Like, once you've built a website, yeah. you can look at it and you know kind of what you can do with a website. You know how things work. And now when I see a good website, I'm just in awe because I'm going, this person obviously knows more than a drag and drop interface. They really are on their HTML and everything is just beautiful. Exactly. And, and it's the same thing with audio editing. Like I right now do a lot of audio editing. I don't expect that in five years I'm going to be doing a lot of audio editing. If I'm still doing shows and things like that and still working with audio, I expect that I will have someone else doing audio editing mm -hmm. because it's not something that I particularly love to do. But once you get good at it and you understand how it works, you get so much better at being able to interface with someone else who does it, to be able to tell if they're doing something good and also to know how do I make this job easier for them? Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, and this is why when I'm working with you, even if you're not doing the audio editing, I want you to hear the rough cut versus the final product yeah. so that you can listen to that and see how the editing happened, see how the cuts happened, see what works. Because that way you, you can alter what you're doing. Getting a good handle on how to do something, even if you never want to do it again, helps you to deal with that area for the rest of your life. Yeah, I'll give two it's, more it's valuable. quick examples. The one that came to okay. mind when you said the website, I have yeah. a friend who I talk to regularly. He's a website designer. He's been doing it for years and years. And when I talk to okay. him, he doesn't talk so jargony, but then I can say, oh yeah, like this, and I'll maybe throw in some jargon. And then he'll change the way he's talking to me a little bit because he realizes that we can talk specifics on it and he can actually share right. the tools that will be valuable for me instead of just the surface level. Yeah, he knows that you understand. Right, exactly. <laughs> which, which completely changes it. When you can speak a technical person's language, suddenly you can interface on a much deeper level. Yes. And that's valuable in work, in every aspect of your yes. life. Which is one of the reasons why, and I know this is a completely different thing, but I think it's so important that just about anybody works in either retail or in restaurants because you learn when you're working in retail and restaurants, one, how these extremely important parts of society work. But you learn what all of these retail people deal with, what all of these waiters and waitresses deal with. And so you can empathize with it, but also you know how to interface with it so that it benefits you and works well and makes everything easier for everybody. Yeah. Because I worked at Macy's years ago, and when I worked there, you could tell some people I'd never worked in retail. Because the way they acted and the way they interfaced and the way just they, they seemed to think things worked... It's like, how could you possibly think that things work like that? You're an absolutely crazy person. You want me to drive to another store to get this thing that you want? Like, I work at this store. I'm not going to drive to another location to get that shirt you want. That's insanity. You clearly don't see how these things work. And it's the same thing with restaurants. When some people want certain things changed, and it's like, it's in the sauce. I'm not making you a special sauce for your soup. It's just in the sauce. Yeah. We made this sauce for the day, and it's just there. Don't be a crazy person. <laughs>
Yeah, yeah, I think these things are important. Yeah, and back to my example of the friend who redid his kitchen. Yeah. You're right, he probably doesn't want to keep redoing kitchens, but he knows that right. he can now probably flip houses and he now has a real estate license and he can start doing that as a side sure. business to his current job. So I think it's all yeah. part of he learned these skills and now he knows what needs to happen. Yeah, I mean, and, and getting exposure to new things is always extremely useful. It's a good thing to keep in mind because so many people talk to me and you know, generally I'm on the side of if you make, I don't know, $50 an hour and it's going to take you 10 hours to fix something, but you can hire a plumber and he'll finish it in 20 minutes for like 100 bucks. Well, don't waste your time because your time is worth more than that. But the process of figuring something out so that you really can do it and understand it is so valuable that one time you should do it. Yeah, and that's where and I... And from then on, you can play the plumber. Yeah, exactly. That's where I sometimes have difficulty with that line because... Mm. Now you're at this level where you're proficient with audio editing. And now I consider myself at a level where I'm at least proficient with the website platform I am working within and I know how to make things happen. However, there are many times when I want something a little more sophisticated than I can do with my knowledge. And I debate whether to invest that time to up it to the next level or should I just hire someone? And I'm not talking hire a full-on web designer, but should I hire help for this one specific problem so that I don't have to invest? Mm. It could be 10, it could be 20. That's a lot of hours for this one thing. And it's incremental gains at that point. Yes, it's always difficult to parse that because when your marginal return gets so low that you're no longer benefiting, you obviously have to stop. But deciding exactly where that is is, is really difficult. I, I, mean, I think the main point is just getting that initial exposure to something is extremely valuable. And then beyond that, the diminishing returns, you know, eventually you stop doing that or you make that your job. But And that's where it's really important to have a result because if you start making money, then it's very easy to start giving that to someone else or hiring specialized help. Well, and it just it gives you a lot more freedom with all of that once you have something produced. But no, I, I'm with you. It's really hard. I, and I struggle with it. With language, it's a very difficult thing because you get substantially diminished returns. You might be pretty good at the language. You might be completely proficient to be able to talk to somebody. But then if you want to get better, you have to put in a lot of time to get a small amount better. Mm. And obviously, if it's something that you want to be really, really good at, then it's fine. But if it's something that you don't really want to use and you just kind of want to understand, it becomes less valuable. You know what I mean? Like for me with brewing beer, like we talked about earlier, it was great to brew beer. It was fascinating. It was really fun. But I don't want to brew all my beer all the time. I want to buy beer. It's too much I work. I want to it's drink beer. Expensive. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I will say, when we're talking about a language, mm-hmm. this is where I think it's really important how you think about your skills and how you think about your side projects and really try to optimize the efficiency of a lot of these things. So for Spanish in particular, I have tried to switch from using my time to learn Spanish to using my time to use Spanish to learn other things. Oh, yeah. I read articles in in Spanish. I use Spanish to try to learn about the news and learn about business in Spain and Latin America and the economics of Spain and Latin America and how everything's going and things like that. And that helps you to continue to improve your Spanish without spending all of your time just working on language. You can actually be learning things in that time. It works the same way in terms of relationships. Like if you want to have friendships and you want to go out and talk to people about things, if you can practice the language while you're doing that, then it's 
almost as though you're getting this improvement in your language learning without having to spend any time on language learning because it's something that you would want to do anyway. Yeah. So the more you can do that with all sorts of things, the better kind of bang for your buck you get with all of these things. And it's hard to do that with a lot of things. But really thinking about how you want to go about using your project, like if you want to spend time talking to people, like it actually it plays really well into the whole podcast mm-hmm. thing. I wanted to figure out how to make podcasts effectively and how to work on audio recording. And I wanted to stay in good touch with you and maintain our connections and probe your mind about things <laughs> that I needed to ask questions about. And so Alakazam... <laughs> Let's make a podcast. Exactly. Let's make a podcast. And so I learned this. I'm able to produce this and I'm able to maintain things with you. It works double duty and it's extremely efficient. Yeah. Because I would want to talk to you anyway. So boom. Now, obviously, there is additional work beyond just talking to you because goes like, into this. You know, so. you have to know how to do audio editing and things like that. <laughs> yeah. And you need to tag things. You need to publish things like there's a whole you need to make show notes. There's, there's a whole lot more to it that I wouldn't have to do if I was just on calls with you but it's dramatically more efficient than if I was just doing a podcast on my own and talking to you that would just waste so much more time so anyway when you're thinking about side projects and you're thinking about how to do things thinking about how can I use this to do other things that I want to do in my life to make my life better that's a really valuable thing how can I integrate this into my life yeah when I talk to my girlfriend about things that I want to do and that we want to do I'm constantly trying to figure out, well, if we want to, I don't know, meet people here in Dublin, but we also want to be physically active, well, can we meet people and go hiking with new people that we met? Yeah. Then we can be physically active and be building these new relationships. Just trying to get double duty off of things. Yeah, that is something I'm thinking about heavily now that I'm fully planted, rooted, whatever you want to call it, in Miami. Sure. Trying to determine if I want to meet people... I want to meet people that I'm going to have good conversations with and we probably have similar interests. So I need to find these groups that are doing these kinds of things or just start doing them and see if I can meet people that way. Right. You're right. It allows you to meet better people that are interested in things that you're interested in. So you can actually build a better relationship because you're making it do double duty and making it more efficient. Yeah. But it's something that I don't think a lot of people think about. Like a lot of people think about, oh, I want to spend time with my friends or I want to have good relationships and things. And they just forget that they want other things in their life Mm. that they could do with their friends Mm -hmm. and they could make that a part of it. And I mean, this is why, and this is a completely different topic, but sure, why not? But (laughs) this is why, like when I moved back to California from France and I was hanging out with all of my friends, at a certain point I was like, some of these friends I feel like are not adding a huge amount to my Mm -hmm. life. And I'm spending time with them. And that time is not doing anything that I want to be done in my life <laughs> and so I, I got to the point where I was like I should just really stop hanging out with some of these people because some of them were a bit negative and they're just a time sink mm-hmm. and if I can change it to people who are positive and want to go play tennis with me and are interesting and help me learn about new things well that's a much better use of my time and it's a better relationship and it's really valuable to think about it that way because you really have to look at the opportunity cost of how you're spending your time and you really have to look at mm-hmm. the value that certain activities and certain time sinks are bringing to your life and if you can optimize it in some way well then you should really do that it's just better. Yeah. yeah yeah absolutely i think it's something about moving to a new place that constantly comes back to to mind as i 
get to a new place and I immediately sink into a certain group of people. And then I have this realization after a while of like, is this exactly where I want to be and who I want to be with? And what am I looking for out of this opportunity? And I usually go in with, okay, this is a good place. I want to be here. But then I start realizing the people and how much that makes the experience. And yeah, yeah, exactly. Even in Miami, what I've started doing is looking at the people around me and saying, okay, I'm going to figure out the activities I want to do. And I'm going to see if any of these people want to do them. And if not, I'll just go do them alone. But if they want to do them, great. Yeah. Then we can do this together. And if not, then I right. guess I'm going to go meet new friends. When you're in a large city, there are people that want to do just about anything. Yeah, You just have to find them, which can be challenging until you get, you just got to go out there and keep meeting them. Yeah, that's the whole thing. You got to go out there, <laughs> get out into the world, apply yourself to things. So I've started using a lot of checklists. Mm-hmm. We've talked before about productivity and the kinds of apps and things that we use and the systems that we use around organizing our tasks and organizing our priorities and how we think about these sorts of things. So I've started thinking a lot about projects and, and organizing things into projects as we've talked about in just terms of the things I like about like GTD thinking. Like thinking about things in projects I think is really valuable and I've really been convinced of this. But one of the things that you come to with that is a lot of projects are somewhat repetitive or there are aspects of them that are repetitive. Mm -hmm. Like so many things in life are cyclical from the year to months, weeks, like everything is broken into short cycles, Mm -hmm. then repeat over and over again. You have your morning, you have your evening, and then you have another morning, and then you have another evening, you know what I mean? And so as I've gradually started to systematize everything in my life to make things easier, I've started to try to build checklists. And I remember when we first started working together, you, I wouldn't say constantly, but (laughs) regularly were asking me for SOPs because we were both, as we've talked about, both working on skill development, both working on learning different skills, but we wanted to teach each other these skills, right? And so I wanted to learn how to design websites from you after you figured it out. And I wanted to teach you how to learn a language and I wanted to teach you how to work on video editing and things like that. And so you wanted to come up with SOPs. And I, I remember at the time being like, yeah, no, that's sure. That's a good way to try to teach someone else. But I didn't understand at the time, this was what, almost two years ago, about how valuable checklists are for long, complicated processes. Yeah. Let me first explain the value that I've started to find in them and then ask how you think about these things. I've really started using them a lot for the podcast. And it's because... There are so many steps to every aspect of the podcast. And it's something that I still haven't done enough to where it's completely automatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of things become automatic to the point where you don't have to think about it. That's what a lot of habits are, as we've talked about before. You get something to the point where it's just completely automatic. But the opposite side of that is where you get it so that you don't have to remember it at all. You just go by this checklist. And so if I want to make a podcast episode with you, I have 70 things that I need to do from saying hi to having it be out in the world. Right. I've found it's really useful for me to have that enumerated in as much detail as possible so that I can just go through. And if I check every box, I know that everything's done and it can just go out. Right. Yeah. And obviously that seems kind of blindingly simple, but I had never really done it before until the last couple months. I think people readily understand the value of having the checklist in terms of not forgetting something, Mm -hmm. right? 
like a travel checklist for when you're about to leave and eventually it just becomes automated but yeah that's that's how i think exactly right yeah exactly the what do i need to bring whenever i'm traveling and you have you know maybe a checklist for long-term travel you have a checklist for a weekend trip and what do i need for a weekend trip i need you know toothbrush pants socks whatever yes that's that's exactly what it is so now that's a little bit of a simpler version of this but i think one of the valuable things in thinking about checklists is actually the making of the checklist mm. the breaking it down in explicit terms everything that has to happen every action that needs to be taken mm-hmm. so that when you're planning it you know exactly what needs to be done because so many things are extremely ambiguous yeah. and when they're ambiguous it just gives you a lot of reason to procrastinate because you're like, oh, I have to figure this out. I have to think about this. But if you can boil it down to the point where you don't have to think about it, it makes it dramatically easier. And it makes you understand how to go through doing these sorts of things. So when you're talking about the travel checklist, mm-hmm. right, it forces you to go through and think about everything that you might need and what you should bring and when you should do everything and how you should pack everything. And it prevents you from forgetting them, but it also makes you think about how you do what you do. What the process which is, is, which is, is what you're kind of capturing through the checklist. Exactly. And, and so like I've implemented these for morning and evening routines as well as the podcast and a number of other things in my life. But it's really useful because when I think about my morning routine, like I had to go through when I was making the checklist, actually enumerate what do I do first? What do I do next? What do I do next? What do I do next? And lay it all out there. And it forces you to explicitly think about it. So it can't be ambiguous. It's like, yeah, I kind of do this and I go into the bathroom and I do some things in the bathroom. Maybe I shower, maybe I brush, but I don't think about it. So I could be doing, you know, I could forget half of these things when I actually go in to do it because I hadn't actually thought about it explicitly. And when you think about it explicitly, it also helps you to remember it much more. Even if it's not becoming a habit, I mean, you're just much less likely to forget things. Yeah, yeah. I I don't do that with my morning routine, but I guess I did it in a way because... Whenever I've been doing my morning routines or nightly routines and trying to really understand the process of what I was doing, I would have, I guess, more of a habit tracker where I was checking what I was doing, but I would do it once I got back in my room after each activity. So I was just thinking about it. And so my checklist is not a formal, like you're talking about, more like on Mm. your computer or something. It's just on my wall and I'm seeing my checklist every day. But that's the same. Right. And just a different version. And I guess... It's a different format. Right. And so that's why when I think of checklists and SOPs, I think of them as very different things. But probably because when I think of a checklist, I think of the simple version we were talking about with the travel where I can either do a travel checklist or I can do a checklist of how I do my weekly review on every... Sunday and this is what I go through and I don't have to actually check the boxes but I have to look through and get every item right right. and then an SOP is similar but I feel like an SOP is much more detailed for instance my company right now they had all of these operating procedures that they could sit there and tell me everything but they a lot of times would say here we're gonna explain this once and then your to do is to go through and figure out the Google Drive system, figure out what we have on there and just read through and I'm giving you this task. So you have to look at it, you have to figure it out through the standard procedure. And so it wasn't necessarily a checklist, but it had this is this and these are a couple of the steps. So I guess... But what's the difference? Are you just saying that the SOP is more detailed? More. Like in a checklist, you bundle things more? Yeah, because I just think of a checklist as you have a, like a small 
thing that you have to do. And once it's done, mm. you check it off. Whereas an SOP, a lot of times it's more, at least in my mind and what I've used it for in the past, project focused. So it's, okay. this is how you do this entire process in this one thing. Yeah. There are points where it's exactly like a checklist. There are a lot of points where yeah. it's just information that you have to read through and digest and you can still go do it, but there's not a lot of All exact right. like, parallels. So you, would, you would think of SOPs as having a lot more explanation. Yes. Because they're designed to introduce somebody that has not done this before to the process. Yeah. For example, when I left okay. my old company, we had a lot of SOPs, but because I was leaving and I was leading the project, no one would know exactly what I was doing because no one was really under me. I just made mm. SOPs where I took my screenshots and I put a lot more information. Yeah. And there were points where it was checklisty, but for the most part, it was just this information hub that they could go to and kind of figure okay. out how to do their job when they came in. Yeah, that is an interesting distinction because you're right. In the same way that internal documentation within a company versus external documentation are going to be quite different. Mm -hmm. There's so many things that are assumed knowledge on the inside that are not assumed knowledge on the outside. So you have to be much more detailed and much more explicit when you're dealing with external documentation. SOPs are designed for people who don't already know everything. So mm -hmm. you would need to be much more explicit. But I think fundamentally they're really the same thing because I, I think especially when you're talking about something that's complicated, difficult, and you don't do it regularly. Mm -hmm. I was talking to someone recently about this, and I'm sure we've all had this experience where you do something, you take a long time to figure it out. It's not that complicated, but you take a long time to figure it out. Let's say you're working with Photoshop, or for me it was with Sony Vegas for video editing. And when I was first trying to figure it out, I figured out how to do something. And it took me, let's say, an hour, hour and a half to figure out how to do this kind of complicated process to get this certain effect that I wanted for the video. And then I came back and wanted to do something similar three weeks later and had to spend another two hours figuring it out again because I didn't remember it. Mm -hmm. If you're doing something not very regularly, you either have to figure it out again or you have to have something that is detailed enough that it allows you to understand how to do it without going back through it again. Oh, yeah. I guess you could call that a checklist or you could call that an SOP. Obviously, the more familiar you are and the more regular it is, the less detailed it needs to be. Yeah, fundamentally, they are the same. It's just how you want okay. to distinguish them. Yeah. My mindset for them is... I start a checklist I make when I'm learning something and I need to refer back so that I don't keep yeah. duplicating my effort, relearning it. Sure. But then yeah. I always master it pretty quickly, whereas an SOP, a lot of times, it just has all this other knowledge that I'm okay. not dealing with on every day. Eventually, checklists I don't think about, and I don't need to use them really, but they have ha had a purpose in the past. So do you make SOPs for your own personal usage, for things others aren't dealing with? Because this is what I'm, I'm trying to figure out right now. Because... No, actually, I think that might be the... Okay. Okay, distinction. Don't. I don't. I've only made an SOP really for training purposes. And okay. checklists I make for myself so I can remember the steps. Okay. Because when I'm thinking about checklists that I make for myself, one, I'm continually using Todoist more and trying to eliminate OneNote from my life. It's just annoying to deal with a text editor for task management. One of the things that I've been doing a lot with Todoist is using template projects with these sort of repetitive tasks. Mm -hmm. So I've been making these checklists so that instead of having to input individual tasks, just load up a whole project for a, a repetitive thing like producing a podcast. So obviously the checklist becomes really valuable, but I, you're right. I don't put a ton of explanation in that and it wouldn't be ideal for somebody who has never done it before to look at it. But I do think that it's useful even when you're making a checklist for yourself to think about it being so explicit in terms of the actions 
that someone who's never done it before could look at it, or at least it's like 80 to 90% of the way to where you could hand it to somebody else and they could just figure it out. Right. They do start to lose their value when they're so vague. Right. Especially if you're going to come in in three weeks having forgotten a lot of what you just learned and have to think a little bit about what you have put into this checklist. Yeah. So I've gradually moved toward checklists. I know we've talked about Trello before and we both got into Trello a while ago and I started using it a lot. Like when I was working in China, I used it every day, constantly for my job, which is one of the reasons why I got so comfortable with it. So I wanted to ask you how you compare in your mind checklists versus Kanban type thing where you have individual actions or projects that you're moving through a process Mm, yeah let me clarify that when i worked in china i had individual classes that i taught people i had six phases of class in my mind for my job Mm -hmm. i had to prepare for the class and plan what i was actually going to teach i had to prepare the materials for the class then I had to teach the class, and I had to write up the notes for the class, I had to publish them, and I had to do some administrative things to do with the actual company and interfacing with it and sharing information with other teachers and things like that. And so there were various steps to this process, mm-hmm. right? The way I did it at that point was, let's say I had, I don't know, Kim Jong's class, mm-hmm. and I would move it step by step into different columns that was like, plan for class, make materials for class, teach class, and I would just move it gradually through this process that I had set up on Trello that had six, seven steps, whatever it was. Well, now I'm starting to transition much more into checklists instead of that sort of thing, mm-hmm. where for a podcast, I have planned the show, produced the show, edit the show, publish the show as like the four big categories. So I could have that set up on Trello where I'm moving the project through this system, or I could have it in a checklist that I'm slowly moving down. And I was just wondering what your thinking on those is. Yeah. Even when you were in China and we met and I was trying to get more on board with Trello. And in general, I've always made a big effort with the digital task management systems because I know they should be really effective. But I really have a hard time using those. So I've relied way more heavily on checklists for me personally, maybe because Google Drive and all of these systems like Evernote are so ingrained in my everyday life that it's much easier than bringing a new app or a new tool into the mix. And a checklist is just intuitive. You just put down exactly what you're thinking. You don't have to worry about a step of moving it through the process. But to that point, I'm talking about myself. If you're talking about a big team, something like Asana for an entire project might be useful because you need to manage so many different pieces of it. It just occurred to me, the distinction in terms of how I'm working now versus how I was working when I was in China. When I was in China, I was teaching let's say 12 to 15 classes a week. Mm -hmm. All of those classes over the course of the week might be in different stages on this process. So you're talking about a host of different projects that are running simultaneously Mm -hmm. and are all going to be at different stages in this process and all need to be completed at different times. Having the set process and be able to see how projects are moving through that process becomes really valuable when you have a large number of projects running simultaneously, that becomes really valuable, I think. But if you reduce the number of projects and increase the number of steps in your projects, then checklists start to become much more valuable, especially if it's not as rigid of a process. Using something that ushers things through a process, the value just starts to diminish very quickly. Like I know when I was in China and I was using this, it made my job so much easier because I could just open it up, look at it and say, I know what classes I'm gonna have to teach I know what notes I need to write up. I know what things I need to get done. Like It, it really just tells you exactly where everything stands, right. which is really useful. 
but my checklist for podcast production has something like 70 80 steps you can't have 70 or 80 columns that you're moving these projects through like that's just completely especially in the interface of something like trello where it is great for visualization but after a certain point you are physically moving the things you can automate it to a certain extent with zapier but yeah you're right it is cumbersome yeah sops are something that i'm using to get trained at my current company checklists are something that i'm trying to work on adding to my, not website design, but my entire side project right now. I know that a lot of it is, it doesn't have any tangible steps because it's something like writing. So it is very flexible, like you were saying, but I know I could have so many checklists around it, but mind maps are something that I have so much. Every, everything I need to do within my business has come into a mind map. And I found that when I was at this conference the other week, We were talking about something and I just automatically put a little mind map together and just started drawing the shoots off as people talked. Okay, so how do you think about mind maps? What do you use them for? I probably use them in too many uses at this point, but that's just because I am a really big fan of the way you can visualize things rather than just listing them. All right. I use them a lot of times, especially when I was coming up with the idea of how do I transition my current blog of just me traveling to what I want it to be. So I would put an idea I had in the middle, and they would put offshoots. Is there potential for revenue? And then all the different things off of that. Like all the different methods of gaining revenue? Yeah, all the different potentials. And it wasn't always this broad. I think a lot of times the value was in me getting a little more specific and then really having to think Hmm. through the different shoots off of each um, line on the mind map. Yeah, breaking things down into minutiae is often where the value is. Right. It's the same thing with checklists. Breaking it down into individual actions is where you really get the value. Yeah, exactly. I started really large for my website and blog, but now Hmm. at every stage when I'm having trouble conceptually Visualizing something, that's when I normally yeah. start drawing it. That really gets me in the flow of getting the ideas and just putting them on the paper and okay. not worrying about them. Then I take a picture, put it in Evernote, and then I'll revisit it if I'm stuck on where I want to go with it. It will sure. just help me get some of the yeah, ideas Yeah, I can see out. it as useful for getting things out of your head because a lot of times you get into these loops and you just keep thinking about the same thing over and over again and you can't get yourself to move on into broaden your thinking on it so it sounds like what you're describing is kind of like brainstorming yeah it's my version of a visualization board or something like that and that's a lot of how i use it but i find it's also very helpful for me if i have a mind map from before to go back and check sometimes i'll do it for my goals as well of where i would like to be and i'll put it here and then i'll put the offshoots And when I look back, I'll say, okay, well, this is what I was thinking, and this is now where I am, so what's the next step? And I'll draw that, but then I'll actually make my checklist for it. But the mind map is just my visual. This is where we're looking to go, and these are all the little ideas. We can't think in two months, this is a brand new idea, because this is an idea that's been there for a long time, but it's just, it's way over here, and right now we're working on this. Okay. If that makes sense. Uh, Yeah, I'm trying to, because I don't do anything like this at all. And so I'm trying to... I have a couple of people I'm trying to get to do it, but it's mostly because they are people who have a lot of great ideas, but they really think Mm. they can keep everything in their head. And I'm really trying to get them to read a portion of GTD too, but that's just me. (laughs) No, I, I completely agree. Getting it out of your head. One, you forget things. But two, you don't want to get so that you're just thinking about these things all the time. It prevents you from actually doing things. Yeah. yeah, I guess I've never understood how information is organized in mind maps because yeah. it's kind of like you're just listing ideas 
and trying to connect how they relate, right? Yeah, it, you're right in that it is a big brainstorming tool, but mm. the effectiveness of it lies in that it's so visual that you can okay. see over on this side is where I'm looking at this idea, and it's totally, usually I clump like revenues here, and this other thing is over here, but you can make the connection between them. And a lot of times I get kind of sloppy with my mind maps, which is not probably recommended, but I end up thinking sure. sh there should be like a line and these are the things, these are the steps in between. And that's where I go, okay, I need some kind of process or checklist or something to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing I was trying to understand because I think in terms of process, I guess, in terms of trying to structure things. Mm -hmm. And I guess mind mapping is hard for me because I find it difficult in terms of recording the information or being able to reference the information to go back to the information. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I guess I do. Because it's not very searchable or... Yeah, but the thing that I like more about mind maps than if I were to just put the process in a checklist yeah. is that the mind map, you can really see the connections right there. And it's not as searchable, but when you compare them at face value looking at them, you can see the yeah. differences, whereas a checklist, it's so process-oriented yeah. that it doesn't give flexibility. Well, and of course, a checklist is designed for repeatable tasks that are known quantities that you can break down. Right. They're not designed around things that you don't even know you're interested in yet. Right. You can't make a checklist for idea generation, really. Yeah. It, it's not useful for organizing ideas as much as it is for organizing actions. Yeah, I guess when I'm thinking about it more, one of the key areas I have some trouble with is yeah. thinking into possibility. And so mind maps have helped me tremendously to really rein in what makes sense and as you were saying earlier where is the overlap like where's the overlap of efficiency of i want to do all these mm. projects and i want to learn all these things how do i determine how i can work on things simultaneously using the mind map as more of a connecting tool and other people yeah. i can't explain how they use it but i've heard other people talk about mind map in a very different sense than i do so i would need to okay. look into it more yeah because i've talked to a number of people about them they've just never clicked <laughs> in my mind and, and it's interesting because I'm, I'm fascinated in infographics and communicating information visually it's one of the reasons why i'm so interested in animation but they seem almost random to me unorganized in a way that i, I find difficult to process and it, i, don't I mean really I, don't, I don't think they're necessarily on, for me yeah but. and that's what i was going to say that kind of depends on you too because the the person in particular that i'm thinking of i don't know that they're for this person but i'm just trying to yeah. get them to start writing and whatever they do sure. will be more helpful than keeping it in their head. But yeah, mind maps are something that if you're someone who's kind of all over the place with your thinking at times, which you're mm. a bit more structured with your thinking than I am. I'm a little bit more unorganized with it. Mind maps are helpful mm. for me because also visually, yeah. I really need a lot of visuals going on. Right. I can completely understand that. That is interesting. I, I definitely will continue trying to flush out checklists and, and integrate my checklists into my life more and more. Like with so many of these things, when we're talking about our own businesses, if you can get to the point where you have checklists for most of the things that you do, when you get to the point that you want to make a change and you're like, okay, I'll hand off this part of what I do to somebody else. I know exactly what it is that I do and how I do it. And with just a few explanations added, 
I can hand this to someone else and they can just do it. That is... Without them having to figure yeah. it out. And you can rely on them doing essentially okay work if they do everything on the checklist. That, that is something that I've been already, in the little time I've been with this current company, incredibly impressed by how many systems they have in place and how easy they are to navigate. They still explain the importance of something because everything is tied to revenue and tied to the yeah. production. But there's a system and you can go in and pretty easily navigate everything based on what they've laid out. And they're a very, very small team that's laying out all these mm. systems. I think it's definitely something that I used to undervalue a lot. The ability to take a job and hand it to somebody without having to actually walk them through and train them for weeks on how to do it is such a valuable thing. And and just from a learning perspective, we've dealt so much in terms of skill development over the last couple of years. And if somebody could just hand you an SOP or a checklist and you could learn the skill on your own off of a two-page thing, that's the best way to gain a skill. It cuts out all of the theoretical knowledge and everything that you would sit in a classroom for weeks learning and it just gets you onto exactly what do you need to do to get this done. Yeah. What's been fascinating to me since the old job that I used to have in D.C. and then all this work we have both done in the middle of gaining skills. Now I'm with this new job yeah. and the way they approach it, maybe because I'm now in a position where I understand how to adapt and gain skills on my own more proficiently than I did before. Yeah. But the way they approach learning is totally different. The old company... There were some procedures and there were definitely a flow of doing things, but it was like, let's sit down, have a meeting and talk about this. And right. currently it's, I'm following my boss and shadowing her, but then she'll say, you're going to watch me do this and then you're going to do it tomorrow. And then you're going to stumble through and we're going to go to a tasting. You're going to see me do it. Then you're going to go to a tasting and you're going to have to figure out how to answer these people's questions. It's going to not go so smooth in the beginning, but trial by fire. And I was like, great, yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. So much quicker. I will be like up and running in a matter of a couple months versus a year, which was the other company and the way they approach things. That is dramatically better. And it's the more practical type of training as opposed to the more classical educational type. And, corp and more like corporate a lot like of times. On the field. Yes, exactly. I like that a lot. I'm eager to hear everything that you learn from them. I was thinking a couple weeks ago, we set out projects or what have yeah. you we were going to do some time tracking and i was going to try to finish off some books yeah and i was thinking i like assigning ourselves homework oh, okay and so i'm thinking there is something that i'm going to try to get done in the next week that i should set as my project for the week or challenge challenges i think the word you used before yeah, yeah my my challenge to myself this week that i already had made on my own is i i keep making a bunch writing a bunch of articles but not writing the entire mm -hmm. article so i need to finish that's a problem well yeah but i get a thought process hard going. to publish those exactly i get a thought process going and i skip around but i find that i do really well with that but then at the end i just need to sit down and finish three of them this week okay where would those be found eventually not until december they will be found on my website which is straight from the sources mouth.co and that's what spelling of straight is that oh the normal spelling Just of making straight sure. s-t-r-a-i-g-h-t okay. Okay. <laughs> i didn't even so think what was about it again, that one more time? the three articles that need to be completely finished published later on but for right now i need to have them finished and we can go on a trust system right. until December, I guess, when you can see those articles. Well, I mean, it doesn't, ma it doesn't matter if people can find them. Like, it's about getting it done. Nobody can check if I finish the books I read.
Christmas like, ha ha, you can't tell. I like that one. That That's a lot. Three articles. Well, like, that's finished them. They're, they're in good shape already. That's good. My challenge for the week is I want to get my first animated short completed. Oh, um, whoa. That's also a lot. It's going to be a short <laughs> animated short. I'm looking at just over a minute, probably like 70 seconds. And we'll see if I can finish it during the next week but yeah i feel like i'm in a good spot i figured out all of the fundamentals for how to do every part that i need to do now it's just putting it all together and actually getting it done yeah. i mean that's know, where i am with like writing too <laughs> yeah exactly i think i'll probably i'll get it done this week but it's it's been great and wonderful and fascinating figuring out animation and how to put things that you've designed in vector animation software and actually animating that and adding motion to that. It's been different from how I expected it to be. And I'm just eager to get something done so that I feel like I'm moving where I need to be moving. Yeah. So that would probably be really cool to do though. When you finally get something moving. It's so fun. Like back when I made my first video for us, it made me feel great as much as it took way longer than I expected it to. It it was great. And so for all of these things, it feels really nice to have something completed that even if it's not very good is passable. You know what I mean? Like I'm not going to win an Oscar for this 70 second short. I know how to produce a 70 second short. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what matters. We'll see next week where we stand on that. Uh, You want to wrap this one up? Yeah. Please leave a review or rate us on the old Apple Podcasts or any of your other podcatchers. And you can, as always, find our show notes at subjectradio.com slash ntl slash 004. And don't forget to see us on Facebook and like us on YouTube. Oh, yeah, definitely subscribe to us on YouTube. On all the social yeah, channels. Uh, yes. We'll see. Uh, yeah, all of that. Yeah, all of the ones that we're doing. <laughs> Right now, yeah, definitely, definitely check us out on YouTube. But anyway, I'll talk to you next week. All right. Talk to you next week. All right. Have a good one. Bye. Where were we? (laughs) I I don't really know, but... uh, I think we we had just finished up you talking about uh, going to... Traveling around Yeah, going to some of the different places you had been going to. Yeah. Okay. Um... Yeah, so that's what I was doing. I was traveling around. Um, (laughs) 